Uh, welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I do uh, improvised horror stories. What I do is I pull out random titles, and then I make up the stories from there. And if you have any titles you'd like to submit, you can send them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. Or send me, uh, send them to me directly through uh, various means of social media communication. Uh, I just got back from a two-week vacation. It was one week in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and the second week in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. of city exploring, uh, partying, hanging out with my partner's family, and hanging out with my own. So needless to say, I'm pretty jazzed up from that trip. All I can hope is that uh, that jazz finds its way into uh, tonight's stories. I can do to make that happen is to just be open and ready for it. And, uh, I'll tell you what I see. So let's get started. Okay. This first story is called Lively Debate. I was just finishing my article on the history of the Parthenon in Tennessee. It is a full-scale replica of the decaying Parthenon that you can find in Greece. As a tribute to the goddess Athena. And I was discussing the, uh, the history of the Parthenon replica showcase for Tennessee's own version of the World's Fair. Where they uh, showcase a lot of different uh, cultures and ethnicities uh, and had uh, little debates in uh, those bases at the time.
needless to say, a lot of the contextualizations of uh, the things at that festival uh, are certainly problematic for this time. However, they did happen. And the slightly more tragic thing uh, is that most of the discussions are still taking place today, over a hundred years into the future. That was the ultimate theme of the article that I wrote. Except the article I wrote uh, had a bit more a twinge of optimism to it. Because the magazine knew that it would be easier to sell. So the people at the magazine paid me and feeling rotten for it. I decided to get some lunch. So I'm driving down Broad Street, seeing what I could see. I was living in Philadelphia at the time, and I was in a habit of taking uh, long drives in the outskirts of the city to the smaller towns that uh, surrounded the metropolis. I stumble upon a crowd clogging an entire street. Now this street kind of struck me as a main street, but the town was far too small to classify it as such. From the way the crowds are formed, it seemed like a protest of some sort. that there might have been a story in it, and my uh, curiosity was being tickled. I stepped out just to see what was going on. I was standing next to this one dude who was just like, oh, those assholes don't fucking get it at all. And I was just like, oh shit, tell me about it. What's going on here? And he was just like, oh, these assholes. And they just kind of trailed off, not knowing what to say. They don't know anything. They don't know what's good for them, good for us. Now, this is a town I've driven through before. It has a relatively low population. But considering the size of the crowd, it seems to be very important to the people in town. Eventually, I crossed the other side of the street where people were swarming. And then I hear another guy, uh, a little bit older, a little bit balder, him saying, just, uh, those assholes. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And he was like, you know, they're just, they don't get it at all, man. 
shop's been open for decades. Half a century, even. I was like, oh, what shop? <sighs> Sammy Sandwiches. No? He pointed behind me, and I turned around and saw the storefront for Sammy Sandwiches. As I looked it up later, it was a renowned hoagie shop in the area. People loved it, and almost everyone loved it in town. Or at least half the people. I saw the sandwich shop, I knew what it was, what the debate was about. There's two sandwich shops. One called Sammy Sandwiches. And the other one called Harold's Hoagies. I don't know what stirred this debate or why this was up to for discussion. My theory is that a bunch of real estate sharks were swarming the area, trying to buy up, buy up the properties that they could, and certain storefronts were closing down, so the public seemed to have a stronger emphasis on which storefronts should survive. There's always been a somewhat rival rivalry uh, between Sam's and Harold's. But it was always playful, you know. If you're a teenager getting out of school, and it's just like, hey, I'm gonna go to Sam's, you wanna come? Just like, nah, I'm Harold's guy. Now, most people who liked sandwiches tended to like both shops. But one always, like, a little... had a preference over the other a little bit. Some, some people would just be like, nah, I'm all about Harry's. Yeah, well, I'm about Sam's. These debates started to stir a bit uh, in the 1970s. Again, for most people, it's casual. But like all things, people were taking it to extremes. Well, if you like Harry's, you're a piece of shit. Oh yeah, well if you like Sam's, and you're just some asshole. thing started to intrigue me. I was really in store for some sort of fluff piece. But at the same time, I was surprised by how contentious the whole debate was. Sam, Sam said this, and Sam said so-and-so. Oh yeah, where Harry supports this, and Harry did all that. All the facts started to blur together, and led me to deduce that both Sam and Harry were Total assholes. So I think what really pinned the matter was how good the sandwiches were. So I made it a point to try each sword's best sandwich uh, on two separate days. First I go to Sam's, then I go to Harry's. This got word around town. Uh, and apparently, uh, people were assuming I'm a, I was a much more high-profile writer than I actually was. 
or suggesting what kind of sandwiches to get. Like, no, when you go to Sam's, you don't want to get the pickles. Their pickles aren't that great. But also, but their meat, though, can't top their meat. Yeah, well, make sure you go to Harry's. You gotta get extra oregano. Extra oregano and extra oil so you can soak the whole thing. Let it sit out for an hour so that way the bread can absorb the oil and it's just like eating a blanket, man. Okay? I was no stranger to sandwich discourse in the Philadelphia and Pennsylvania area. But all the speculations about Sam's and Harry's was making my head spin. So the first day I went to Sam's. I was surprised by how empty it was, but a lot of people were still swarming outside. And there was an older man at the counter, so he's like, hey, hey, you must be the guy. And I'm just like, I'm a guy, sure, yeah. And Sam said, no, I didn't mean that kind of guy. I mean, you're, you're, the, you're the magazine dude, yeah? And I was just like, yeah, that's me. She's like, all right, well, I'm Sam, this is Sam's shop, you know, whatever you need, you know, I'll give you whatever you need free of charge. You want chips? You want fountain soda? You know, we've had write-ups in the Philadelphia Inquirer, you know, we're pretty fucking good. And I was just like, yeah, you know, just give me your best. Uh, I guess I'll get an Italian hoagie, um, you know, hold the tomato, uh, extra oil. She's like, all right, you got it. He made the sandwich himself and then brought it out to me. And I had a bite, and I was just like, oh, shit. It's pretty good. pretty impressed by it. I've had a lot of good sandwiches in the Philadelphia area, but Sam's Italian hoagie struck me as memorable. And he just said, oh, you're into it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. And we just started to get to chatting, chatting about town and all that, uh, talking about Philadelphia and the history there, how he used to live there and why he doesn't anymore. Namely, for family reasons. So the next day, I go to Harry's. Again, it was a similar vibe to Sam's, you know. Just a reliable, uh... Philadelphia Suburban Sandwich Shop. And Harry was also uh, courteous and he greeted me. And he said, like, ah, oh, you must be the guy. And I was just like, yeah. Um, I'm feeling a sense of deja vu. I 
tried to steer, steer the conversation elsewhere, and it's like, yeah, you really got a Pats and Genos thing going on. And then Harry just said, oh, we're not like those assholes. And I was just like, oh, cool, cool. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll get a Italian hoagie, you know. Extra oil, hold the tomato. Started to make the sandwich. And he handed it to me. So I just sat in a booth and started eating it. And I gotta say, it was pretty fucking amazing. You know, ultimately, as I'd, I'd, I'd consider Sam's and Harry's uh, neck and neck as far as their sandwich game, but. Really, I have to give it to Harry's, you know. So when I did my write-ups, I was determined, like, all right, Harry's had the better sandwich. Not that I've tried everything off the menu, but as far as their signatures go, you know. It wasn't a food critic. It wasn't really my area, but if I was going to do a write-up on the debate, you know, I had to try their food. Harry's just like, oh, you're into it? And I said, yeah, this is awesome, you know. I think you're going to be my pick. He's like, ah, cool, good to hear, you know. You know, with all the development happening, you know, we got to do what we can to get our clientele up, you know. Cost of living is increasing, so we got to, you know, really got to expand our horizons or really, like, stay afloat. And I was just like, yeah, I hear that. He's like, all right, so you're going to go to Sam's tomorrow, huh? And I said, oh, no, no, I already already went to Sam's. Uh, Yeah, I went to Sam's yesterday. I said, oh, I guess that's a bit surprising. I said, surprising how? And Harry said, well, I, you know, a lot of people get sick from their food. And I said, oh, well, I kind of, I feel fine, so I'm not too worried about it. And Harry said, I don't know, you better, um, my advice to you is just to, you know, drink some red wine vinegar and add some salt to it, add extra salt, you know, try to, you know, try to get out whatever, whatever Sam put in your food, you know, you really can't trust that guy. And I was like, okay, sure, um, well, I feel fine, so I don't think I should worry about it. Harry said, you don't understand really should regurgitate your food as soon as possible. My way home to Philly, I was really unnerved by this. I didn't know what Harry meant. So anyway, I started to get get the Started to get to the draft that night. Trying to learn about my experiences, the histories of Harry's and Sam's.
I started to feel something turn in my stomach. It was tickling me inside my stomach wall. to do what Harry said and I started to, I just drank a bunch of vinegar and then added a bunch of shit that makes you vomit I tried to vomit into the uh, the toilet in my bathroom but I had no luck it seemed like something else was clogging my throat all of a sudden it kind of felt like I was choking Started to, something started to, started to tickle me all up my esophagus, all the way up my throat. I held my breath, but I still couldn't breathe. And then I started to feel a very congested sensation come out of my mouth. first thing I saw was little solid strands. I didn't know if they were antennae, feelers, or something. Little thin claws or whiskers. But it was the first thing I saw uh, surface underneath my nose. More and more started to come out of my throat. watched it slowly extend itself. It had some fur. It was greasy and oily. It came out of my mouth so, so slow. This giant malignant worm type creature. Almost like a centipede or a millipede. All of its legs were wreathing around, trying to find its way out of my throat. It felt like it was taking forever. My body was paralyzed and immobilized, and I couldn't move at all. I was just hunched over the toilet and just let it happen. And as the centipede-like creature started to inch its way out of my mouth, I noticed these little spots that looked like they were painted on. And watched them emerge one by one on the creature's back out of my mouth. When I checked the time later, it was two hours that it took for the creature to fully make its way out of my mouth. And I endured the entire thing in dense sobriety. Eventually the creature fell in the toilet. It seemed like it'd be too thick to be flushed down. 
took up more space than the water. But not knowing what to do, I gave it a flush anyway. And as I flushed it, it uh, squeezed itself into the toilet hole and then flushed down. And that was the last I ever saw of it. So when I did my write-up, I wrote about that malignant centipede thing that crawled out of my fit mouth for two hours. And it happened after I ate at Sam's and Harry's. But I couldn't say which one that the bug came from. But I released the article, and it was met with a lot of scorn by the public of my refusal to pick a side, out of which Sandwich Shop was better than the other. And the point I made in the article, and later statements, what I, that it was immaterial which Sandwich Shop was better. There's no way of knowing where the bug came from. There's no accurate way to make that distinction. I heard some rumors about the bug uh, that found its way into the sewer system. There have been sightings of it over the years. I don't think it's from the same bug. I don't I don't know how long their lifespan is. But there's some research that suggests that it did multiply, and now has an entire network of those giant centipedes roaming underneath Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania, uh, Delaware County area. As for Sam's and Harry's and the uh, diehard fans of those sandwich shops, People still debate about which sandwich shop is better, but my article changed the flavor of the debate. People started to speculate which shop the bug came in. Which shop feeds little uh, bug eggs to the public so that they can grow out later. Some people out of town said, well, it could certainly be both. They certainly can be in cahoots, fabricating this debate. So people never really uh, surmises the enough, enough energy to really hone in on one shop or the other. And I haven't been to that town in many years, but from what I've heard, People are still debating about those sandwich shops. This next story is called St. Lucy.
No one really knew her full name. Everyone just called her St. Lucy. People called her that because people would ask for a cigarette from her. She always had one to spare. She usually uh, was seen around South Philly, often near the area of South Street or the neighborhood. Apparently she had a townhouse apartment in that area. I was often found in the bookshops uh, chatting with the clerks there. Often she'd volunteer in community events that would uh, either feed the hungry or support uh, the mentally ill to some capacity. But no one really knew her super well. All they knew about her was that she was kind and generous. knew too much about her personal life. Occasionally she'd invite lovers into her townhouse apartment. Often they're from out of town. Either just visiting or just passing through. But no one ever saw these suitors uh, for more than a weekend or a week or some sort. And then Lucy would also... Uh, Take a lot of trips out of town. But no one uh, really knew where she went. I remember the first time I met her. It was a point in my life that I was really low. chips were down as much as they could be. And I was just couch surfing barely to get by. And I saw her standing on the sidewalk, smoking a cigarette. I've always wanted to meet her and talk to her. I never knew what to say. It always seemed like that her outlook and perspective of life is far more vast than my own, and I could never think of anything that could match her knowledge and wit.
later I found this to be a pretty silly because anyone connect can connect with anyone under various circumstances regardless of whether uh, levels of wisdom but still I was intimidated in that moment so when I saw her with that cigarette I just uh, made it so I was walking past her and then I stopped and I was like hey do you got an extra cigarette you can spare me and she was just like yeah sure I had some spare change in my pocket that I was going to give her, and she was like, oh, no, don't worry about it. So I started to smoke the cigarette uh, next to her. And I was just like, huh, yeah, Lucy. And she was just like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my name, or at least what people call me. And I was like, yeah, you know, Lucy and the Scott Diamonds. And she was like, oh, yeah, I love that song. She had a reputation of being so chatty and benevolent, but she was coming off as very guarded with me, so I kept trying to chat with her. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's also, uh, Lucy's also named that one serial killer, right? And she was just like, what do you mean? And I was like, you know, Lucy, um, you know, no one's ever called her yet, but apparently she was like, like an improv player performer that really sucked or something and then she got hit by a truck or a bus and then she went on a killing spree and just like killed all the people she improvised with and then entertainers around the county and then you know and then she hit the road and just started to you know kill people one by one Apparently she still, she still tries to perform and improvise as she murders people, but apparently it's god-awful, but I don't think anyone can live to tell about it, you know? And she was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't hear about it. I didn't know undead people were... I didn't know zombies were a thing in real life. It's like a movie from a movie or something? And I was like, oh, no, 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 uh, no. I mean, the murders are real, like, they happen. The bodies are mutilated, stabbed, you know, really classic uh, slasher movie style. Um, but apparently the legend is that uh, there was a girl named Lucy who died, and then it was her reanimated corpse that went on these killing sprees, and now she's out there, she's still out there, you know, and can, can do anything to anyone at any moment, you know? And then Lucy was just like, yeah, okay. Well, I have to, you know, if I if I meet anyone smelly named Lucy, I'll, uh, I'll keep that in mind. And I was like, huh, yeah. Yeah, I gotta watch out for serial killers. And Lucy was like, oh, I know. I know. I wasn't enjoying this conversation because... Lucy was making me feel like I was a serial killer, and I was just like, I'm not a, I'm not a serial killer, you know, and she was just like, I never said that, and I was just like, yeah, because I'm not, you know, I'm not like that, I mean, you know, I got like the profile for it, sure, you know, I can never hold any relationships or friendships for a while, um, not for very long anyway, I have very long pits of loneliness, 
very meticulous about certain things, you know. But I'm not a serial killer uh, at any stretch, you know. That would be awful. I mean, you know, I once had a buddy who was a mortician, and he'd always talk about, like, how, you know, he wasn't a mortician. He was, like, a, like a clean-up body, clean-up guy. And he'd always talk about just, like, the sheer work of handling bodies, uh, recovering them from their uh, discarded locations, um, you know, and all, that whole process of the autopsy and all that. And how to, it's a lot of physical, difficult labor with the smell and everything and to handle a dead body, you know. And serial killers, they not only endure that, but they're, like, into it. That's, like, their jam. They're just like, oh, yes, handling dead bodies repeatedly even though they're smelly and difficult to lug around like that's like their passion you know that's really it's really fucked up because dead bodies are like inherently disturbing unless you're like a predator and hungry or something you know i guess serial killers are like a type of predator or whatever but i'm not a i'm, I'm not a I'm not a predator or anything like that lucy gave me a very particular stare this day, I don't know how to how to describe it. It kind of reminded me of uh, Jean-Luc Picard uh, was alive and in person and existed in the world. It'd be like if you're if you made eye contact with him, sharing a cigarette on the street, and you were as fucked up as I was. definitely a look of, oh, shit, I want to help, but I don't know. So Lucy said, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure you can get through whatever you're handling. I hope that for you and I hope that no one gets hurt along the way. I was morally offended by this, you know? You know, I've never, I don't hurt people on purpose or anything, but you know, the way she was talking to me, I was so not into it at all. And I was like, well, hey, you know, I, look, I'm not trying to be uh, abrasive or anything, you know? Just having a cigarette, having a chat. She was like, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, well, um, um, do you want to have a drink or something? I, I know you don't know me, but I, uh, I heard about you, and I'm not being a creeper, or not trying to, but I heard you're like, um, you know, I'm, I've been really down on my luck recently, and I'm definitely concerned for myself and my life never felt more lonely in my life, but that's not unusual for anyone. Um, but I do think, you know, if you, if you got time, I could use some advice. I hear you're the shit. Not that, like, you're a guru or anything. I'm not too spiritual myself. I mean, I meditate occasionally. Um, it does help the pain a little bit, but I'm not, like, I don't know, awareness, that's also cool. Um, but I don't always want to be aware, you know. But if you got, you know, listen, if you want to have a, if we can have a drink, you can give me some advice on life, I could use that. 
just something on the go, you know, you don't have to invite me to your place, we don't have to see each other again, you know, I just need, uh, I need some assistance in some capacity, so if you can, you know, Lucy, St. Lucy, if you can help me out with that, that'd be cool. You really seem like the total opposite of that one undead serial killer I heard about, so if you could just help me out with this, that'd be super cool. try to look really hard to read the look that Lucy gave me. Partial concern. Partial entertainment. Partial fear. Partial pity. And she said, yeah, we can hang out for a little bit. And I said, awesome, let's go to this, uh, let's go to the bar down the street right there, you know? We'll go somewhere close, you know? And she was just like, I don't drink, but, you know, I'll get a Sprite or something. I don't know why I recommended, uh, that bar, especially one that I've never been to. I was just panicking, and I was just like, oh, let's go to that bar over there. But the bar was called Kinky Jazz. It was located in the outskirts of the uh, neighborhood. It was known for jazz shows and uh, sex shows and drag shows. We were heading there in the middle of the afternoon, so people were still funneling in. I had a nice pilsner with a happy little bear with a fez hat on it. And Lucy got a 7-Up because they didn't have Sprite. said to you, so you said you wanted advice, but um, I don't know what kind of advice you need, what you're seeking, do you have family at all, you know, anything like that, do you have a place to stay or eating enough? This may not have been the case for most people, but these questions were tremendously difficult for me to answer. And I just said, uh, you know, um, no, none to, no to all those things. Yeah, I'm just so lost and confused, you know. You know, I tried college for a bit, that didn't pan out. Tried to, you know, tried to get into the military, and I was like, wait, shit, never mind. I've just been wandering around ever since, really. You know, and I don't think a, like a job or like a sense of stability will help at all, you know. And Lucy said, well, why not? 
I said, because I'm, I'm too much of a, you know, too much of a piece of shit to really do anything. I don't know how to do things, really. Lucy nodded, had some of her sprite. Looked out the window for a bit. And then she said she just said, I love watch I love people watching, don't you? And I said, Yeah. I also love people watching. And then she looked back at me and said, Well, that's one thing you're able to do that you love. And I said, Okay, yeah, yeah. said, look, I don't know where your deal is or where you're trying to do or where you're trying to go. Um, but what I've found is that being on the side of love is also the is the right way to be. Um, and there's a lot of depth deception that could surround that. Some people can fool themselves in loving something when they don't. People can fool themselves and fool other people that something is love when it isn't. Believe me, I used to live to I used to live in the Northwest for a bit, and they're super into cults out there and really duping you into pretending to love something, and you don't realize how fucked over you were until years later. And then I nodded, and I said, "Yeah, yeah." And I thought about it, and I, and I thought, oh, she doesn't, I heard she didn't give anything out about her personal life. I guess that's a little bit personal. So Lucy readjusted her beanie, and she said, look, I don't know, yeah. Just do things you love, you know. If you love a person, uh, do what you want for them. Um, but as far as love with people, it's a matter of, you know you love someone it's, you should be thinking like you know what can they you shouldn't be thinking what should they do for me you should be thinking what what can I do for them and you got to make sure that they are also thinking that way so you're not on like a some one-sided abusive relationship or something you know but also have some self-love too um quote from Eartha Kitt, I think, uh, that I always think about, that uh, she says, success starts from home. Not that any form of, like, you know, domestication is for everyone or anything, but I mean, if you have your core of people, people that you love in your life, you focus on that for a bit then that, that'll enable you the strength to do whatever you want that you love. And then sharing that with other people, you know. And nothing's perfect, you know, nothing's going to go your way all the time. You can't just land in a city and think you're just going to nail it just by being there because it's fresh, because that doesn't always last either.
so pick the side of love, um, and that path will not be devoid of any bitterness or deception, but I would say beware of it, and be aware of it, uh, you know, when you see it, don't let it erode you, because some things in this world are, uh, can be inevitable. Then she just kind of shrugged and had some of her 7-up, and she's like, that's my two cents on your situation. Which I guess I don't really know too much about, but based on how I feel you're coming from, maybe that's some advice? So I nodded for a bit. Probably a bit too longer. I'd say about 40 seconds longer than I should have nodded is how long I nodded. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, just do, you know, pick the side of love. Do the things that you love. Just strive for that, you know? And she's like, yeah, there you go. That's a start. And it's worth noting, like, everything's not going to happen for you in one day. But, you know, just keep on that trajectory. And there's a strong likelihood that something will pan out. But I don't want to put your hopes up and give you false optimism. But, yeah, that's my advice. charged and energized from that conversation. Felt like I could do anything, you know? Like, yes, love, of course, that's the way. Being on the side of love and doing what you love. You know, there are things about me that I've always wanted to do in ways and uh, ways that I wanted to access myself but always felt bashful for her. but if I'm on the side of love then I think that can I can access these parts of myself and live in the way that I truly want to live Philadelphia, I, uh, I claimed my first victim. It was someone on the street that, uh, no one in the neighborhood seemed to know. So I gagged them and took them in a van, and I murdered them. Cut their arteries up and all that. I've always wanted to be a serial killer, but I felt too bashful to really pursue it. With forensics these days, you know, it'd be so hard to get away with, but... By golly... I thought I'd just go for it, you know? Do something that I love. I've loved the whole, you know, when I've known people who would, like, uh, clean up bodies and all that. I was just like, oh, I want to do that, but I want to be the one to take their life and make it an intimate experience. Because I know, though, I could do it delicately in the way that no one else could. That some random government mortician would do or anything. No, I can make death what it needs and has to be. And I had enough intel from those uh, body pickup and mortician jobs. Uh, 
to be uh, aware of uh, forensics. I try to do a good cleanup job. I try to do the disposal of the body very properly. I hid it in a dumpster, so I'll be taken to the dump. Hopefully, no one would find it. But it felt great to take my first victim as a serial killer. However, my first victim was when uh, it wasn't perfect. Someone found the body at the dump. And I would later learn that it was actually St. Lucy's sister. And I know someone, uh, a friend I had in Philly told me that she just cried and cried over it. felt bad about it, but I just thought, you know, if, you know, if Lucy didn't, you know, I was just following, I was just following Lucy's advice. Okay. This next story is called Bottom of the Harbor. There's a lot of speculation of what was found at the bottom of the harbor. It looked like a large coffin or a trunk of some sort. It was some sort of uh, rectangular box. like glass but was sharper than diamond and the seams of the box were blue and the rest of the surface was black <clears throat> when it was found in the harbor in Jersey uh, it was taken to a research center in Philadelphia Some researchers came internationally to study it. There are many rumors that uh, surrounded a box that uh, looked similar to this. There are similar stories to it. Some of the uh, resemblances to uh, things found up north near Alaska or Iceland. And I'll 
So stories of this box, uh, echoed myths, uh, about the sea grapes and sea apples. That many teams of researchers die trying to find. But no one knew why this, uh, rectangular box was at the bottom of the harbor. There didn't seem to be a way to open it. One researcher, Ronald, uh, who's being very thorough about the box, he's traveled internationally to uh, that's and studied things uh, of such a mysterious nature. People said that his research was Lovecraftian, but uh, Ronald always says, "No, no, I want to. I always think we should." graduate from Lovecraft, really. But no, Ronald Arbitson was known far and wide for alleged metaphysical research. He would never call it metaphysical. But he's written papers on the sea apples and sea grapes. And certain predators that would uh, sleep beneath the, beneath the earth. And come to the surface that would claim victims. And also creatures that would take seed in people's bodies and emerge afterwards. Ronald Arbitson uh, thought all these, uh, all this phenomena was connected, whether it was under the sea or underground. But all we can do was uh, study one case at a time. And he was leading the team to discover the nature of the strange black coffin. team of researchers, uh, a great debate occurred whether to keep trying, trying to find ways to open it or just to break it open to see what's inside. Ronald would say, well, this is, this may not be, you know, may not be something you can open. What if this is the thing, you know? younger researcher said, with all due respect, Mr. Arbertson, but we should really crack this thing open. And then Ronald said, don't you understand how dangerous this thing is? 
anywhere within the past five to ten years when people have found similar objects either underground or underneath the sea, the entire research team met their demise. And there'd be stories of vash, uh, fast, vicious predators. Or sometimes it would just be madness. No. We stay meticulous and we do it right. For I do not want to be another story full of victims. be another scientist that plunges their way into their own demise. I'm actually focusing on the betterment of society. And I will not do that with faulty research tactics. substance and surface for any engravings on it put a few x-rays still nothing was revealed except for what you could see with the box uh, with your naked eye and your naked senses Ronald was someone who would be able to grind away at the box to figure out what it was forever. But the other researchers were not. They were getting impatient. They were getting fatigued. They wanted to know what the deal with this box was. And would go to any means to find out. The only hint that they found was that it emitted some flavor of uh, electromagnetism. And as the box emitted these waves, one researcher drew a connection to the uh, goat facility uh, that pummeled to the ground they're studying rocks that emitted electromagnetism. And again, that one young researcher was just like, if we just crack it open, we can see what's inside, and then that way we can get a stronger signal of electro electromagnetism. It's probably just like, you know, something else more substantial. And Ronald said, uh, Kid, you're drunk. 
Don't you understand that this coffin, this sleek glass surface could be shielding something that can destroy us all? No. We take our time with it and we're thorough. After we've, we've exhausted literally every, every option, if we've exhausted every option of investigation for this box, maybe we can start to unseal it. But that won't be for another several years. And then the young research, researcher said, yeah, well, now he's drunk. And, Robert, and uh, Ronald said, what was that? And the young researcher said, nothing, nothing. All the researchers were totally shit-faced all the time. And it directly infringed on their research. So a few months later, Ronald took a vacation. Because everyone needs a vacation at some point. to Palm, Strength, Palm Springs for two weeks. It was a go-to vacation spot. But it was hotter than it's ever been. Climate change and all that. It made him think in apocalyptic terms. In the state of the world. Not that he didn't think of those terms anyway. But he really just needed a vacation where he could just, like, chill the fuck out for two weeks. And then he thought, oh, I guess I should have done, like, a staycation or something. But he ended up not being well-rested at all during his vacation. And on his way back to work and uh, at the research facility in Philadelphia, he thought, well, uh, you know... Back to the grind, I suppose. But when he went to the facility, he saw that, uh... The glass was broken. On the building. He thought, what the hell? He walked in, cautiously. The facility was deeper un underground, so he used his passcode and took his elevator down. And he went down to the facility and saw nothing but bodies and blood and destruction everywhere. Started to make him physically sick just to see it all. And then when he went.
into the room where the box was kept. He saw something which did not surprise him. He saw that the box was smashed in half. Recklessly cracked open with a simple hammer. Ronald was displeased with uh, everyone in that facility he called his colleague. Then he just muttered to himself, those bastards deserved it. But the box was split in two pieces. But it was empty. He didn't know what kind of creatures were dwelling in the uh, facility, but from the reports he read of uh, people finding mysterious objects in the ocean and underground, they always met their doom. So he just shrugged and sighed and thought, might as well do what I love. So we got a flashlight and some candles and... He got to work. He continued research on the box. Most of the technology was shot, but he still did what he could. He was, he was able, able to leave uh, the facility a few times and get a generator to power some supplies. He got the x-ray working again and started to scan it. Started to study the interior of the box all these fascinating encryptions on it. Took copious notes. And gathered multitudes of data. He gave his report to his superiors. And continued this research for months. Bosses offered to send more researchers over, and then uh, Ronald said, No, don't bother. I'm getting so much more work done. So, after several months, Ronald would figure out what the box was it was a bomb. A dormant one at that, similar to the concept of a, a missile that's encased and doesn't explode yet. That's what this rectangular coffin was. However, the box didn't uh, give out an explosion per se, just this very dense, sickly radiation. Ronald reached that conclusion. Uh, people were sent to the facility not to go inside, 
Put the scan, it's radiation. It was through the roof. Luckily, the facility was so, so deep underground that it only affected the city by a radius of two city blocks, which were evacuated and quarantined off indefinitely. However, the radiation was on the scale of a, of a mass nuclear meltdown. Even if it was so deep underground, and didn't affect many people on the surface, it affected Ronald a great deal. It wasn't a type of radiation that people knew or were used to. Ronald felt it coming uh, for a long time. Part of why he stuck to his research, though he was a bit more relieved that it wasn't some creepy monster out to get him, because that bought him more time. Now, as he did his research, his body would erode. His body dripped like glue. Constantly vomiting, vomiting and constantly sick. Eventually, as he was doing his research alone, he uh, ordered various medicines. Some of them helped, some of them did not. He, did, he got as much data about the radiation as he could. So that if people were to find a similar box in the ocean or underground or in a harbor, they'd be able to do something about it. Ronald knew it was too late for him. Eventually, the research facility became his home. He lived for several, uh, a couple years after the initial drop-off of the rectangular coffin. He was surprised by how long he lived. even know since the uh, coffin burst open and it led to a lot of physical suffering. He took solace that he was doing something that he loved and that his data could be useful for generations to come. Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. And it's good to be back. Good night.